Imran Khan, Swan Energy. Jeremy Pate, Swan Energy. Thank you, gentlemen, for joining us this week on Mining Money, a weekly segment gaining popularity all over the interweb, especially overseas, I'm noticing. So that's kind of interesting. I did want to ask this week about just actually careers and the oil and gas industry. And then I wanted to ask you guys about some fourth quarter stuff as well, because I know a lot of times people are looking for ideas either to invest because otherwise they got to pay some sort of capital gains tax or not capital gains tax, but some sort of extra tax at the end of the year if they don't invest it. There's uh, all kinds of different tax incentives that are involved with the um, investing and rollovers and things like that. So, Jeremy, I'm glad you're joining us this week because I know you like to handle those types of questions. Uh, Imran, talk to me a little bit about the career fair that you guys had. I'm glad that you guys did that because... The two things I wanted to ask you about was, one, what's going on out there in the vibe of the workers? And number two is the connection, you know, with the average folk and that sort of thing. And these career fairs tend to be a good place for the oil and gas industry to connect with the average person and also within the industry, too. Thank you so much for having us, Jason. Yeah, so we did a career fair day a couple of days ago. It was, it was definitely different, I guess, during COVID than, than what, what I've seen in the past. But, uh, you know, we, we did multiple sessions to kind of make sure that uh, people were separated out. And, um, you know, we, we talked with uh, quite a few different groups, some, some great potential folks. Um, a lot of what I saw was folks that were in oil and gas and other avenues of, of oil and gas kind of wanting to wanting to get into some of these other areas that we're in with respect to the sales aspect of, of selling deals. Um, you know, a lot of, a lot of younger guys that, um, you know, I had a guy that was from Exxon. There was, uh, there was a few people that were from Halliburton. Uh, a lot of folks that have a lot of good knowledge from oil and gas standpoint, uh, that, that may be, may be good from, from our perspective to talk with our partners and potential partners. I think uh, that's probably a, a key point. I know you, you mentioned a little bit about uh, the uh, investments and uh, the, the fourth quarter right now, you know, people are getting geared up for taxes and all of that. And, you know, a lot of folks that, you know, that, that are making 250, 300K and uh, are paying a third of that in taxes, you know, if you, if you participate in, uh, general oil and gas ventures where you're actively participating, uh, all of the intangible costs that are associated with drilling um, are written off the first year. So that's really a big, big deal there. Um, you know, so there's potential for folks that are uh, making investments with us to be able to uh, write off a big portion of that. Um, you know, I know I said all of that, but there's a certain portion that's intangible and certain portion that's tangible that, that, uh, uh, gets written off there, and and I think it's important to be able to reflect on that. And you know, in in the in the current times, a lot of folks have gone through some changes in how they've been doing uh, their their family economics and budgeting and things. And I think it can give them a an opportunity to be able to uh, make some good investments and um, you know, kind of move forward uh, from that standpoint and end the year with a nice bang. I couldn't agree more that people are starting to change their family dynamics when it comes to their checkbook and some of their different budgetary things. But companies are doing that too, uh, whether it be shared office space or getting into these telecommunication, uh, video conferencing, all kinds of different things. 
Whether it's saving money or not, I don't know, but it's definitely shifting some dollars into some different areas. And that brings up like a lot of these mergers and different acquisitions and that sort of things that is happening. I read today Canada's just had a slew of them in the last month. And Jeremy, talk to me a little bit about, you know, what's going on out there in the marketplace. You know, you, you, you're out there shaking the trees and, and working the phones pretty hard out there. So you got your ear to the ground. You know, there's a lot of flurries happening and people are changing their, their monetary spending habits and things like that. So talk to me about what's go, what are people saying out there in the oil and gas world about investing right now? You know, it, it's kind of calm. There's not a lot of talk about it. I think there's a little, still a lot of trepidation in the market. Um, obviously, with the dip that we saw in oil prices uh, this week, you know, I think anything that anybody says is a little bit opinionated and speculative. The good thing is, is the gas seems to be holding its own and seems to be taking uh, its own commodity position indifferent from what oil prices do. Uh, you know, there's not big swings in gas right now maybe a few cents here and there. Uh, I have a lot of optimism, as you know, toward natural gas. I feel like that it's going to be a it's going to be a big player and it's going to rebound very quickly, uh, probably a little bit more quickly than what oil has. I mean, just look at it. I mean, that gas is rebounded by what 50, 60 cents yeah, was it since May. See, I think when we were when mm-hmm. it got down, yeah, yeah, dollar forty nine yeah. is what it got down to. It's at uh, two twenty eight right now. It's dipped to about four cents today. But you know, the thing is, it's not dipping twenty, thirty cents, fifteen cents. You know, you're seeing single digit, you know, downward cycle. As far as oil goes, uh, you know, look, the, the Chevron and Noble, Chevron's acquisition of Noble was a big, you know, optimistic front that happened here recently and, and not surprising at all. Uh, they picked up a good acquisition with that. Noble worked very hard to get themselves back in the black and um, in a respectable P&L form. So that was a good pickup for Chevron. You know, I, I can't uh, can't knock them for doing that. Stemming off of your natural gas comment, I'm looking at the Permian Strategic Partnership. They just released a, a report, and they've got the Permian very positive in the bright future. You know, the Bakken didn't have a very good future in terms i just talked to justin Kringstead. he's didn't have a very good outlook for next year he said he didn't think it'd come back to pre uh covid numbers where the permian is looking a little bit opposite down there in texas and this of course is from the permian strategic partnership and we're looking at having some of those folks on talk a little bit more about it but the reason i bring it up is natural gas was brought into the play and imran you talked a little bit about these tax incentives and i want to tie the two together in that these tax incentives you talked about are like first quarter write-offs. And right now, Jeremy, you mentioned there's a little bit of calm out there. Well, to me, this seems like the calm before the energy storm, meaning that we're about ready to springboard into some big things here. And all of a sudden, if you can have some tax write-offs and these mergers and acquisitions that have happened over the last several months, they come to fruition now. I think 2021 is going to be kind of a... A big year for oil and gas. I really do. Um, I think right now, and I'm not just saying this because you guys are on the line. I, I do think right now is a very good time to get your foot into that energy investment because it is one of those times where next year people are going to be kicking themselves saying, geez, I wish I would have got in when the getting was good. So Imran or Jeremy, either way, I mean, you guys can go whichever direction you want with that because it wasn't really a question as much as some observations. You know, it's. Uh, I, I was reading some sort of article the other day, and they mentioned on there 
if a Ferrari was 50% off, would you buy it? And obviously, the, the consumers, everyone says, yeah, heck yeah. You know, if I can get a $300,000 Ferrari for one fifty, why not, right? Now, at the same time, when oil and gas is down or Apple is down or any of these, these different commodity items that are out there are down and they're down 50%, do you buy it? And everyone really thinks twice about it. And it's no different. And that's one of the things. And the Ferrari is actually, obviously, it's a depreciating asset, right? It's funny because, you know, when you think of investing and you think of investing your money into something like oil and gas and getting in at these times that are out there, you know, people really question it quite a bit. And yeah, you never know what the price is going to go down to. But, you know, seeing where it's already gone to earlier this year and the slow climb up, I feel as we're as we're seeing the trend, it's like two steps forward and one step back and two steps forward and one step back. But overall, it's been in a positive light. And if you look at the NYMEX and if you look at the forward pricing and things, you know, next year, regardless of how the elections go, it's looking like it's going to be in the $50 range. You know, we're, we're doing all of our estimates for our partners and our future partners at $40 pricing or below to be able to make sure the economics work at those lower numbers. But hey, if it goes up $10, $15 on top of that, which the, the NYMEX is predicting and, and, and other, uh, other companies out there like Bloomberg and all are, are, are saying, then we should be able to, to see that same level of uh, benefits that we, that we have and, and other folks that are out there. When we take a look at what's going on out there in the marketplace, I'm going to ask everybody to take a step back. And, and again, this is, this is something where you need to ask yourself, if, the, if somebody's going to throw fifty or 100000 bucks at an investment, do you want to do that alone or do you want to do that with others? And my understanding is, is that you guys are pooling together investors or you have the ability to do that in order to kind of safety in numbers and safety investment in numbers to mitigate the risk the best you can in a very high risk industry. Is, is that a correct statement, Jeremy? Yeah, I, I think anytime you, you get a, a group of people or group of companies together to set forth in a joint venture or a JOA, a joint operating agreement, that you minimize your your cash outlay as well as your exposure to those investments or those projects, and, um, and then and then once you once you see that this is going to be a viable and successful path forward for everybody, I think that everybody can find their own way and their own comfort comfort level is monetarily, so to speak. And just to, and just to give you guys an example, this has happened in my industry before in the media industry, where in in Colorado, the Rocky Mountain News and. The Denver Post, they did a JOA for about 20 years. So did the Detroit Free Press and the other Detroit paper because it was in their best interest to share a sales staff, actually. Instead of having competing sales staff, it was easier for them just to share one and then pay off the editorial departments based on circulation numbers. That was a way that they were able to sustain themselves for a number of years past there. The reason I bring it up, the reason I bring it up is that the safety in numbers when it comes to investors and that sort of thing has been around for a while because, quite honestly, you're going up against Warren Buffett a lot of times. You know, Warren Buffett bought that pipeline as soon as it went under, as soon as they sold it, for a reason. And I saw this when the Internet came into the media world, is that those that were able to hang on through the really difficult times made it. And I wanted just to bring that up because right now I think the energy industry is going through one of those times. You brought up the natural gas thing earlier, and that's just ready to explode. But it needs, you know, sometimes it, it takes a little bit of time. And I think the average person should probably be aware of that. And, 
you know, does that, I don't know, I don't know, again, if, if there's more of a question or a comment, but I just wanted to point out that right now, it just seems like the safety in numbers works pretty well. Uh, I totally agree. You know, we're even putting together projects um, with JOAs with other operators right now, and that's one thing that we're really focused on, partnering up with, you know, another operator or two other operators to go complete a project and, you know, then bring a, a host of investors into that project too. So I think we've really spread our wings as far as net networking go, it goes right now. And we're, we're kind of trying to do a lot of different networking on a lot of different multifaceted levels, bring other partners in as well as bring other operators in, uh, in order to tackle, you know, bigger, more, di- bigger, more dynamic projects. If you look at the majors even, right, you know, BP doesn't go off and do things on its own. Uh, Shell doesn't go off and do things on their own. These guys all partner with each other to be able to grow themselves further, right? And and at the same time, what does that do? That that helps de-risk the actual, uh, the, the actual, yeah, what's out there. So at the end of the day, that's one of the big things that, you know, we've been focusing on. Rather than doing something that is just uh, one well or two wells, we're looking at different types of exposures. Depending on what what type of project we've got, sure, we've got those two, but then we've got opportunity to be able to invest in a set of 10 or 20 wells and you just own a percentage of them. So at the end of the day, you know, as long as a decent number of them do well, you, you've got a good return coming out of it. And from that standpoint, too, we're, we're working with operators that are billion-dollar companies. So they're not out there to, to, to fail. They're, they're out there doing these campaigns because they do them and they make money for their investors. And that's what we're looking to do, too, from our partner standpoint. Absolutely. And I'm going to throw in one more piece of, uh, I guess, information that I believe, and I'll get your opinion on it, because I believe that the oil and gas industry is one of the best investments right now. And that's one of the reasons why we've, we're doing this mining money segment, because the mining industry has been profitable for about 10 years overall, in 15 years, actually. It's been a job creator and a number of different things. But when you take a look at what's going on, and what, even during a pandemic, the amount of plastics and different nylons and that sort of thing went up. So no matter what's going on, the actual daily use of oil and gas petroleum products is not going away anytime soon. They might reduce it and they might try to reduce it. But at the end of the day, the the extraction and harvesting of oil and gas, I do not believe is going to go away in my lifetime. And, and the only way that that's going to go away is that means our lifestyles are going to go in the dark and we are going to experience some sort of lifestyle change where you and I are no longer talking and we got to take a horse and buggy to meet each other somewhere in Kansas City. <laughs> well, I'm, seriously, you know what I mean, guys? Like, no, let's, right. let's just take a step you're back and, right. and, put, and, right. and put our common Absolutely. sense hat on here and say, listen, oil and gas is probably right now one of the best opportunities in the history to buy. That's crazy for me to say. I would never say anything like that. But anyways, go ahead and talk about the, you know, the. I guess how, if you agree or disagree, that uh, it's going to stick around for a while just off of the sheer daily products and the transportation and the Amazon delivery and et cetera. Yeah, so, you know, Jason, I was listening to Jimmy Barrett's radio show this morning coming to work, and he had, I, I can't remember the guy, but he was a... Um, oil and gas expert so to speak from he might oh he was from chevron i can't remember his name but you know one that jimmy posed that same question 
to this guy, right, uh, with Chevron. And the guy says, you know, oil and gas isn't going anywhere. Do you realize that 93% of everything that we touch on a daily basis is a derivative of oil and gas industry? Think about it. Your plastics, your keyboards, even in your car, your your fuel, your oil that you use, but also the parts that are made to made for that car. You know, um, and one thing you'll never hear Elon Musk do is talk bad about oil and gas. I challenge anybody to Google Elon Musk comments and see if he ever says anything bad about oil and gas. And there's one reason why, because Elon's a very well. First of all, Elon Musk is either a time traveler or an alien, huh. one or the other. Um, <laughs> But um, the guy is very, very intelligent. Probably he might very well be the smartest intelligent person on human being on this planet. And uh, he doesn't ever knock oil and gas because he knows that if a law was passed tomorrow, that we would move fully towards EVs, uh, electric vehicles. We would need twice as much oil and gas as what's being produced today to accomplish that goal. My understanding is, is that his big battery farm in Nevada is 90% gas. That it's at the big battery farm that he charges these Tesla batteries. 90% of the uh, energy comes from gas, the other 10% from solar. That's my understanding. I've, I've read that in Popular Science magazine. So you're right. Yeah, you notice he doesn't use wind farms, right? Well, yeah, he doesn't bite the hand who feeds them. He's a smart guy. You're right. He might be the smartest guy. Yeah, he's he's projected as this big environmentalist, but he knows that, you know. <laughs> so I'm telling you, the guy's an alien or a time traveler or both, one or the other. That's so funny I how mean, I, I, I hear that a lot more than I probably should. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you know, I just I heard it when I was in Colorado last time. I heard it when I was Dickinson. There's always somebody in some crowd that says it, so I'm just telling you, I hear it a lot more than I probably should by people who are not connected, unless you guys are all in the same chat room. I'm not sure, but uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> same chat room. Yeah, right. That guy right there is like ten steps ahead of everybody. You know, I mean, it's just it. You know, I, honestly, renewables technology and the technologies that Elon is even putting out there right now are so far ahead of their time that other industries can't catch up, right? And uh, the, the, the technologies that they have to pull from other industries uh, to custom fit for their stuff, it just, you know, it's it's not, we're in a, an awkward place right now where it doesn't all mesh very well. There's not a lot of synergy. But, you know, in with time, that's going to get there. You know, it's just right now is not, you know, renewables are not profitable. They, you know, they're not economically viable for the consumer, you know, and, and that's, and, and that's yet to be worked out, you know, and that's the reason why oil and gas is going to be around for a long, long time. 